Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. I'm Rachel Lloyd. I'm the founder and CEO of GEMS, Girls Educational and Mentoring Services. GEMS is the first organization in New York State to specifically focus on commercially sexually exploited and domestically trafficked girls and young women. I think that's the most important thing. If you're serving other people is bringing like your authentic self, being humble, being compassionate. You might not know everything, but coming in with that attitude, human to human, I think makes all the difference. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Rachel Lloyd is the award-winning founder of Girls Educational and Mentoring Services and a survivor of sex trafficking. She's made it her life's passion to empower women and girls so they can live their fullest lives. So Rachel, you were raised in England by a single mom, and you said your life changed when your, your mom married your stepfather. How so? Because that was when domestic violence came into the household. And my mother became an alcoholic. And so up until then, while, you know, we had issues with poverty and I'd experienced sexual abuse, like not from a family member, but kind of outside of the home. Um, So it hadn't been easy, but I had, uh, you know, a stable, relatively stable, loving parent. Um, The introduction of, of my stepfather into the equation Uh, yeah, changed absolutely everything and made home a very unsafe and unhappy place to be. Would you tell us the story of how you were trafficked? So I ended up, because of everything that had gone on at home, um, by the time I was 13, I dropped out of school to help support my mom because she was drinking. We were going to lose the house, and right? So I felt like, you know in my great wisdom as a 13-year-old that I should step up and be like, you know, the woman of the family. But obviously as a 13-year-old kind of going out there and working and being around adults and then you start being around really unhealthy adults and predatory adults. Um, So while I was smart for my age and looked older than my age, I was still very much, I was still 13. So my judgment, I don't think, was particularly evolved, um, nor should it have been. So by the time I reached like 16, 17, I, I, you know, I, I was drinking really heavily. I'd been in and out of trouble with the cops, been in a couple of abusive relationships. I mean, things were, you know, really bad. I hadn't been living at home for several years. I was living on my own. Um, and so I met some girls in a pub one night who were in, living in Germany and had just come back for the holidays and said Germany was amazing and there were all these jobs and it was great. And, and I thought, oh, this is a fresh start. I can start again. And so I sold my Christmas presents and got on a bus like a week later, took the bus to the ferry, to the ferry, to the bus. It took us like three days to get to Germany and got to Germany and realized like, oh, I don't speak German. Um, and not everyone in the universe speaks English. And so within a couple of weeks, I was in a foreign country. I'd gotten a one-way ticket um, and I was stuck. I thought, how can I get back home? 
and make some money to get a ticket back home. And so I walked into a strip club and thought, okay, well, I'll do the minimum I have to do. And that's another one of those kind of like lines in the sand. And then you realize like, oh, that's another day my life changed forever. And then I ended up, I, I was in the club kind of working, paying the rent and taking care of myself and one of these other girls. And then I met um, a guy who ended up becoming um, my pimp. And right, I had no conception of like what a pimp was. I don't even, maybe from like a um, couple of movies or like Starsky and Hutch, but it, he definitely didn't fit in that category, right? He was, you know, in his 20s and he was handsome. He was American. He was ex-military. Um he also had severe PTSD and a crack addiction, um, which I didn't realize. And so, you know, those next couple of years were uh, really, really violent and uh, really scary at a lot of points. Eventually, I kind of found my way out. How did you break free from him? Really through the help of um, a, a church in Germany. And I'd met a couple of people from there and... They invited me to go to church, and I started going, and I mean, I was still working, and and then, you know, a lot of quite uh, amazing things happened, miraculous, serendipitous. Uh, He had to leave the country suddenly. I was supposed to go join him, Um, and I think that little window of kind of freedom, um, I I don't know what would have happened had he not had to leave the country. The police were looking for him, and, you know, and it was supposed to be temporary, and that was like enough breathing room for me to kind of make these connections with this church. I ended up uh, getting a job as a nanny for a family in my church, which is kind of miraculous that they were willing to take a chance on me. You know, I started kind of healing from there. That's where like my kind of healing process began was on a military, American military base in Germany. We'll talk a little bit about gems in a second, but what do you say to people who say, why don't women and girls just leave their pimps? Mm, yeah, that's a, <laughs> um, of all the questions that like make me, uh, you know, look, we've had that question for years with domestic violence, right? And I, hopefully a, a big percentage of the population, not everyone, because people still ask this, right, when there's a public domestic violence situation. Um, but we've begun to understand that there. You know, you don't have to be like chained to a to a bed to think you can't leave, um, and that there are psychological factors, emotional factors, financial factors, all these things that multiple reasons that would keep a woman uh, in a domestic violence situation. When you're talking about trafficking, and particularly when you're talking about young people, right? You add in like the lack of kind of developmental um, growth and immaturity and all of those things. Uh, you add in the fact that in a DV relationship, the person's job is not as an abuser. They don't make their money from being a domestic violence abuser. A pimp, an exploiter, that's his whole income. So everything he does is designed to keep that girl, that woman stuck. Uh, that's his whole focus. Um, and so, right, the tactics that they that they use with isolation, degradation, with, you know, violence, with, and, and it can't all be violence, right? Because in a situation where it's, you know, violence from the very first moment you meet somebody, um, and then it stays like that, you're figuring out, you know, generally you're figuring out a way to escape. It's when it's violence mixed with, 
a moment of kindness, a moment of love, a moment of hope, and and you can keep somebody off balance like that, um, that's a really effective way of controlling people. And a lot of situations for, for the girls and young women that we serve have started off as a romantic or they've thought it started off as a romantic relationship and then it's turned into something else. And we're talking about, you know, the the studies show anywhere between 70 to 90% of uh, women and children who end up in the commercial sex industry were sexually abused prior to recruitment. And so, you know, we're talking about young people um, who've already experienced childhood trauma, I mean, if you throw in, you know, not just sexual abuse, physical abuse, uh, domestic violence in the home, alcoholism in the home, an incarcerated parent, I mean, right, that's almost 100% of the young people that we serve. Um, And so if you're already starting out with a very skewed version of what love looks like, of, of how normal violence is in a home or in a relationship, um, it can be very, very difficult to leave. And then I think that question presupposes that society has been welcoming to individuals in the commercial sex industry that like, well, why didn't you just leave? Because, you know, we would have greeted you with open arms and we wouldn't have called you names and we would have given you a job and housing and clothes. And I mean, that's not the reality. And I mean, we're starting to see change now. And right with the, the kind of framework of trafficking, people are starting to become kind of more accepting and recognizing this as a not a victimless crime, right? The sex industry isn't like this, this victimless crime, but that there is a victim and there's a crime being committed and having some empathy towards those victims but we've still got a really long way to go in terms of a having the resources and supports for you know young people exiting the commercial sex industry I, I can't tell you how many times we're struggling to house somebody we're full every shelter is full right I mean and so you know our, our approach and you know what we believe is is you know rescue isn't a helpful paradigm for anyone's life it has to be about empowerment and walking alongside people and it has to be about long-term support rescue is just kind of that moment that first night then what right how are you going to feed yourself how are you going to feed your kids what does how do and beyond that like how do we help someone find joy in their life develop their skills and their strengths and find meaning um and live a fulfilling and healthy and safe life um so yeah i think that that idea that like you can just leave and it's easy um is is one of the most kind of pervasive myths that we like come up against in this work what advice do you have for women who are trying to leave an abusive relationship? I think uh, not isolating is a really critical and finding some people that you can trust and talk to and reaching out for resources and support, even if you're not ready to leave. But that pain of leaving somebody ends the pain of staying in an abusive relationship. There's no end to that. It will never get better, right? Like it, it just won't ripping off the band-aid kind of thing and letting it heal properly versus like staying and having like this gaping wound quite frankly like for the rest of your life you started gems with thirty dollars and a borrowed computer <laughs> what's your advice for women who want to start a nonprofit? 
make sure you really want to do this. It is a huge uh, commitment and sacrifice. I think, you know, I talk to a lot of people will say, oh, I really want to start an organization. And then you start kind of talking to them about kind of the the hours involved and, you know, or, or the, <laughs> the fundraising and the politics and the business side of it. And I think if you really are at a point where, you know, you've done your research, you see a need, um, you know that like that need isn't being filled elsewhere, then I think it's about talking to as many other EDs as possible, um, learning from, you know, I was I was fortunate to have some really great kind of mentors along the way. Um, but I mean, it's, it's definitely uh, a, a huge kind of life commitment. Coming up, Rachel talks the challenges of going against the sex trafficking industry and the work that still needs to be done. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app? That dog does not want to be petted. <laughs> Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. Take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal. So much of people's vision of trafficking is from, I think, that movie Taken, where you see someone abducted. And I'm just wondering, I think there's probably mothers out there who are saying, like, oh, my gosh, how do I protect my own kid from being trafficked? And so I guess, is that scenario realistic? And then if so, and also either way, like, how do you protect your children from being in these situations. I mean, I think Taken is like the worst thing to happen to like this movement because it gave like such an unrealistic picture of like what trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation looked like. So that movie is kind of like the bane. It was like the bane of my life for the first few years when it came out. The reality is, is that the majority of young people who get trafficked have already had childhood trauma and abuse. So the best thing you can do for your kid is to create a safe and happy home, raise them well and have good conversations with them about boundaries and consent. And so, you know, I think that being a good parent makes the difference, right? Being an involved and supportive and loving and caring parent. And that's not to say that there aren't loving parents whose kids have been trafficked. You've received a lot of awards and honors for your charitable work. What does that feel like? I I think like, the doors of opportunity that that opens and and girls having like when I came out of the life there was you know I didn't know anybody that I could look to and see oh that person is a survivor and they got out and they're doing well and you know they've got a happy life and like I had no idea what life was going to look like and so I think it's really important um, and that's a big piece of survivor leadership right is being able to model kind of what the journey looks like and, and give folks hope for the future. How has your financial life changed since you've become successful? I mean, I'm I'm officially uh, like I own a home. Um, I never thought that would happen. Uh, I've been a homeowner for six years. Um, every time I walk in my, I come down a little, a little pathway. Every time I come down, I thank God for my house um, because I have been homeless more than once. Uh, 
it didn't have to look like this. And the fact that I have my own home, um, I think is a something that like I'm open with the girls about and talk about how it's actually more doable and achievable than you think. I think like as survivors, you have a very complicated relationship to money. Um, I think there's a lot of codependency issues and right tending to like use your money to take care of everybody else, even after you've been in the after you've gotten out of the life. And so we do like you know a lot of financial literacy stuff with our girls, especially around like the emotional feelings about money. I didn't think I would get to be like middle class and have like middle class problems like oh my plumbing like right I mean you know I'm super stressed when those things happen and then I have to be like I can afford to call a plumber right I have a home in which I have a plumbing issue yeah my my life definitely didn't have to look like that you said your pain has become your passion what's your advice for other women who want to transform their pain I mean, there's, a, there's actually a lot of research around kind of, uh, and I'd recommend a book called Trauma and Recovery uh, by Dr. Judith Herman, especially for folks who've experienced like childhood uh, abuse and stuff. Um, but there's a lot of research around kind of the benefits of helping others for folks who've experienced trauma. And obviously you, you want to make sure that like you're not spilling your trauma onto other people. Um, but I think finding finding a community of like-minded folks, of people who have had share your experiences and building some healing and some community and support through that, but then finding ways to support others um, and, and not feeling like, you know, you don't have anything to offer or that your pain like negates, you know, the, the trauma that you've experienced like kind of takes away from your strengths or your skills or any of that. I mean... Right, I came to New York when I was 22 years old. Um, I didn't have a GED. Uh, <laughs> I was been out of the life for three years. I was a hot mess, quite frankly. Um, somehow, I managed to like start an organization, and I mean, I've worked my ass off. Let's be clear, but you know, I right, we've become the largest survivor-led organization in the country, the largest service provider to this population in the country. And and that's been because I think that it was it was always fueled by something deeper than it's not about awards. It's not even about being thanked, right? And you have to be really sh- clear that like you're not doing it to kind of like fill a need in you, but that you're doing it out of real service for others because you remember what it was like to be in that place and and you have something to offer that person um and i think young people particularly need to hear from adults who've had struggles because young people can look at adults and think you don't understand my life you don't know what i've been through i mean we all look at other people like that right we have no idea what people have been through just by looking at them and i think it's really important for young people to hear yeah i had a terrible relationship with my mom and right now I'm an adult and I don't have to deal with my mom. You know, I see her once a year for an hour. Um, right. I, I've been able to like build a life. I mean, because as adults, we have that like long range perspective. Yeah, I got my heart broken and I thought I was going to die, but I didn't. And neither will you. <laughs> right. Like that kind of this too shall pass piece, I think, for young people is really important, especially in those teenage years when everything feels so intense and dramatic. Whether you're a 
Obviously, we believe very strongly in survivor leadership, but we have some incredible staff at our organization who aren't survivors of the commercial sex industry, but often are survivors of sexual abuse, of domestic violence, of other things, and bring uh, their authentic selves to the work. I think that's the most important thing. If you're serving other people, is bringing like, your authentic self being humble, being compassionate. You might not know everything, but coming in with that attitude, human to human, I think makes all the difference. Time now for your secrets. I'm Rachel Lloyd. My money secret was asking for what I was worth and advocating for myself and fighting for that. Hey, this is what I need. And that changed my life. Be sure to check out more episodes of Secrets of Wealthy Women on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. John Wardock is the executive producer of WSJ Podcasts. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening.